Hey, BTB buddies. I get excited when I find a new independent podcast. I don't know how I'm going to have time to listen to all these podcasts, but I'm going to. Independent podcasts are where it's at. I just found a good one. The Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker. That's right. The Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker is Matt, Greg, and Brendan. They talk about all things pop culture and have some great clients. Their clients are actually their guests. No, that's not, that's not right. Their clients are the topics they throw at their guests. Just take a look. They have great guests and great topics. It's actually like the BTB Internet talk show that I know you love, except for, well, it's entertaining. Matt, Greg, and Brendan are a real trip, and you can count on the conversation going down some wild and wacky rabbit holes. Their interviews are unique, and I'm sure their guests leave the show saying, what the hell just happened to me? And that's what you want from a podcast. I know that makes you want to check them out, so make sure you do. Check out the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker on all the podcast apps and their YouTube channel, and head over to qsblaw.org to hit them up on social media. It's the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker, and let me tell you, it's a good one. Hey, BTB buddies. We're sponsored by Paper and Pencil Gamers. I remember those great old puzzle books my parents used to bring home. I love those. They had word searches, mazes, math puzzles, just all kinds of great stuff. Those were a lot of fun and could be done anywhere with just a book and a pencil because that's all we had back then. Would you like activities that allow you and your children to unplug completely and solve some old school puzzles? Paper and Pencil Gamers has some great family-friendly puzzle books. These are educational and will take you off your devices for a while. We could all use that, couldn't we? You can read these books everywhere, even outside. They have a new book, 75 Hen Mazes Book 1, Chicken Poultry Puzzles and Solution. It's really cool. It's got a bunch of different chickens that are mazes and you have to get to the other side. A lot of fun to have with your kids. Check out PencilAndPaperGamer.com. That's PencilAndPaperGamer.com. Or click the link in the show notes to take a look at all their great offline books that will encourage imagination and take you and your children on a journey without devices. And let them know Scott sent you. Hey, BTB buddies. Smile Brilliant is a sponsor of this episode, and you can use the word BITS, B-I-T-S, at checkout to get 30% off your order. Do you grind your teeth at night? Well, you're among a group of 40 million people who do. If you do, you probably know it's not all that good for them. You also probably don't want to pay two to 300 bucks for a night guard from the dentist and then grind through several of those guards per year. Smile Brilliant has the same custom fitted night guards for as little as 45 bucks. How do they do it? Smile Brilliant has their own lab and you can buy direct and not pay all those extra dental fees. You can also get custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Carry Pro Electric Toothbrush from Smile Brilliant. Head over to Smile Brilliant, and when you check out, use the code BITS, B-I-T-S, to get 30% off your purchase. That's right. Go to SmileBrilliant.com and enter the code BITS, B-I-T-S, when you check out for 30% off your purchase. 
Now that's a good deal. My guest today is somebody who grew up in Texas and spent a good deal of his formative comedy years in New York. Now he's in L.A., moved in and ready to go and take on the post-COVID world. He's appeared on so many shows and channels on SiriusXM, I can't even list them all. He's been like on everything, every channel. He's a TV writer. He's an actor. He's got the only comedy album titled The Zoom Comedy Album 2020. It's Justin Chafin. Justin. Justin, what's up, buddy? How are you? Dustin. I said Justin, didn't I? Yeah, it just drives me crazy. I always do that at Starbucks. I always put <laughs> Justin on there. Wow. I think we're just so conditioned to think about Bieber and all that stuff. Yeah. We just yeah. <laughs> so, Dustin, okay, there I'll be go. good for the rest of the interview. I, I really appreciate you coming on because you are doing some stuff that a lot of people aren't doing and you're you leaned into some stuff during the pandemic that some people didn't so you've got the album out called the zoom album 2020 and it's a zoom album it's you doing zoom shows and i I want to get into that first because this is something that you you either get or you don't get as far as Zoom's concerned. And I want to hear about your experience because obviously you were quarantined. You were in New York at the time and they, they had a pretty big lockdown compared even to the rest of the country when it first came about. So you were just sure. inside and yeah, and you much. started doing these shows. So tell me how that evolved for you. Yeah, so it's happy to be here. Very cool. I The Zoom thing was interesting because it was like we were all like freaking out. Nobody knew how long this was going to last. It could have been a month. It could be a whole, ended up being so much longer, a year mm-hmm. or whatever. I think our my brain, my, me personally, my brain was just like twirling around. Like, I got to figure things out. My first show was a, it was an Instagram show and it uh-huh. was horrible. Everybody said they had it, they liked it or whatever. When you just hate yourself when you're doing comedy. Yeah. And it was just like, and it's weird with an Instagram uh, format because you can't hear them at all. Yeah. And so you're just like, you're getting heckled by emojis. You yeah. Know? And you're just like, and I'm nearsighted. So I'm squinting, trying to see if a woman in a wet, red dress, is that a heckle or is that a good thing? And uh-huh. just a horrible, weird kind of experience to do your comedy in this, in this way. And so I just, just kept doing them over and started finding a little bit of rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then I realized the bar was so low <laughs> that I could, you know, that who cares how you do? Yeah. Like I got over that really quick. I was yeah. just like, these guys were just like getting weird that they didn't crush on zoom. It's like, dude, seriously, take it down. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a place to do new shit. Cause it's yeah. a bomb, whatever. And there's, there's nobody in the back of the room watching you. Like right. it's just, and so I had a good attitude about new material. Uh-huh. And so I forced myself, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just do every time I have a zoom show, maybe I'd have three a week. I would write a new set for every single show. Mm-hmm. So I was really pumping out new stuff. And it was, and, and a lot of it was, pandemic stuff but a lot of it wasn't a lot of it was stuff i was afraid to tell in a club because i felt like in in comedy clubs it's like sometimes you can't really do what you always want to do if you're a crackers in indiana you can't really tell this heartfelt story about your dad they want you to be funny in two seconds you got to pop and you got to work the room and you got if you want to play there again yeah and so it's there's a lot of those things weren't there with the zoom elements so i just was able to put this thing together and so the more spots i did i realized you know what i think it'd be cool if I could record an album and if I could get it on Sirius XM, then I could make some money that yeah. I'm missing from being on the road. Right. So that if I could just, and if this thing sounds good enough that they can air it, 
then I could be in rotation and then make a little cash and then get over do this thing. So, so that was my creative way to figure out how to survive the comedy world. And so we, we put it together. My label's uh, Comedy Records and uh, my first album, Stop Telling People That, uh-huh. they did. And it was a really good experience. And I told them, I said, I'm doing this Zoom thing. And they were like, ah. You know, they were like, what's that going to sound like? Uh-huh. And so, <laughs> so nobody really thought the audio was going to be good enough. And it was a very bizarre thing. So we filmed two shows and we, we did the Zoom thing. Uh-huh. And, and originally it was like, I wasn't sure if I was going to do a special or if I was going to just do an album. And But I set it up in a way that I could be as comfortable as possible. And I was such a weirdo. I was actually in Maine. My girl lives in Maine and uh, where her, her family lives there. And so we went there for two months in the summer. Uh-huh. And so that's where I actually recorded it. And her mom has mannequin heads everywhere. And so she, it's like terrifying. They like have wigs and like hats. And you like turn a corner, you're like Jesus. And you're like, <laughs> it's always, so I was like, how funny would it be if while I'm doing this Zoom show, I just put all these mannequin heads in the front. It, so it looks, so they see heads. And yeah. when I look, I see that. And it, it was amazing how comfortable it made me. I wonder where you came up one. with that because I saw some of that. And <laughs> what I was thinking was, this is perfect. You're looking at the mannequin heads and you can have your notes pasted it on front of them <laughs> yeah well, yeah they're definitely cheat sheets i had yeah. like just poster boards everywhere because yeah. it was all new material it was stuff that wasn't worked out my first album right. was 10 years in comedy yeah this was a whole different thing yeah and but yeah so the cheat sheets but but it was so funny i put the heads there and of course they were all wearing masks and uh-huh. you know so, social responsible and it was just funny i did crowd work with them <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a way to be feel natural and yeah. i sit on a stool and played with the mannequins <clears throat> so it was, it was a good experience right crowd work in zoom is actually <laughs> i i actually feel like it's necessary because you you actually develop a you, you don't have to call on everybody but you actually yeah. develop a little bit more rapport and people seem to listen a little bit better if you make fun of a few people somebody's got their cat peeking around the corner or a weird piece of art or something <laughs> like that you can really key on that i did have a backfire one time on me though one guy just didn't want to talk to me i'm like come on turn your mic on i want to talk i want to talk and <laughs> he would not do it <laughs> yeah it's definitely bizarre but that is the kind of stuff that helps you connect to the audience mm. it's like anything that's going to make you because you because you can't feel the connection from the crowd so something like crowd work is you get talking to them and get more conversational but i had a great experience with it and i think it's my best it's better than my other album in the sense that it was there was a lot of stories like I was saying before, sometimes you don't do the stuff you always want to do in a club. Uh, a comic said to me one time, it was hard to hear. It was actually uh, Vic Henley who passed and recently uh, in the beginning of January and a uh, great comic, a good dude. Mm-hmm. And he told me one time, he said, look, man, he goes, I, go, I don't mean anything by this, but you are more interesting than your act. And he was just like, it was one of those things because I was just that guy doing midget jokes and weed jokes and I was always killing, uh-huh. but it wasn't like a lot coming from my life. And yeah. so when I did this Zoom thing, I was like, just go all in, tell some stories, talk about your life, talk about growing up, your dad had a strip club, uh-huh. talk about it's your crazy brothers pretending to go to college for two years and taking money from your parents. And I had so many crazy, my dad getting arrested on a family vacation and it was just <laughs> crazy stories that it was like, I was just sitting on because I was a, a pussy and they'd want to tell them in a club and yeah. it was just like dude just do it and who cares that you can delete this zoom and nobody has to pretend the only the 40 people that were there know though you did it so it was like a really good experience and so i did the stories i did a lot of 
newer stuff about COVID and whatnot. And I was really happy with it. It really kind of came together. And and then Anthony Kaffer, who's a producer, they've worked on my first album. He's a comic, but he's a sound guy. He's a musician. He's a really good ear for the sound quality. And so we hammered this thing out. We worked on it. We made this made the laughs not sound so zoomy. And mm. we sweetened it and made it like crisp and it turned out well. I got it on Sirius XM. It's on Raw Dog. And <laughs> that was the goal. Yeah. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was a win for me. It was like probably the hardest thing I've ever done in comedy. And because it was just, because the, the elements are so, you oh, know, yeah. nobody was used to it. So yeah. it was like one of those things where, you know, I, I was experimenting the entire time. But yeah, a lot of comics, they shit on just Zoom shows and all that stuff. But I, for me, it was great. It was yeah. like, because what else am I going to do? Right. You know? My girl wrote a book. I'm not as smart as she is. Yeah. And so I <laughs> I, had, I had to do something. Right. This was my way of being creative in this weird, bad situation. And it ended up being a really good silver lining for me. Uh-huh. Because you know how a lot of comics just, I was one of those guys, and I'm not I'm not going to rank on them too much, but it's those guys that just do the same act for forever. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, it, and it's your bread and butter. You, you crush with it. Mm. You got your closer. You got your opener. You know what you do, and you got your kind of crowd work that's that's standard stock. You do. You become one of those guys. You play a lot of firehouses and yeah. a lot of just private events or whatever. And, and I felt like I wasn't growing, and so uh-huh. this forced me to do new material, grow, and and just do take risks because you yeah. see all these you know guys that are successful. Bill Burrs and guys like that, they just pump out a new hour and they don't fret about it. They just do it. Yeah. And a lot of times they're writing some of it on stage and all that stuff. And so I just wanted to, it was my way of growing up a little bit in comedy and mm. doing something different and um, very proud of it and just happy it came out. So yeah. get the album, guys. It's funny. I listened to both, both albums back to back and I did it mostly while I was driving. And what you said about the second one being better, it's funny because I... When I, I started comedy late, but when I started, you were one of them that I watched because you were, it felt like you were in a bar just talking to a bunch of friends. That's what your act felt like to me. It was very natural and very, it, it just hit me as something that was better than what I could do. So I studied that and yet when I see it up against the 2020 and the stories and getting personal and those types of things, I do feel like you're right. You did grow. You, you've become somebody who is actually reflecting on a, a life that's been pretty crazy lived rather than just observations on different types of people. So I, I, I felt like even though it's in a Zoom setting, you, I felt like it was really a tour de force storytelling type thing. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to it. A lot of times I do podcasts, but nobody listens to the stuff. <laughs> and you're just like, really, dude? <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that. I really I had, appreciate I, that. That means a lot. It really does. A few days ago, <laughs> a few days ago, I had Art Bell on and he started Comedy Central and he's been doing a lot of podcasts, but uh-huh. I watched and listened to a few of them. Most of the people didn't read his book and I stayed up three nights in a row to read his book. And I'm, I'm like, right. I'm like, I, I know what I'm going to ask. And, and afterwards he said, thank you for reading the book because, right? you know, th- so this really cool. sucks if you don't, if you don't do your uh, research. But yeah, I always yeah. felt like you were just one. I, I like the Texas mentality and I grew up on the edge of poor in, in a small town and I get 
where you're coming from, the whole double wide and all that kind of stuff. And it's just really, it's really neat that you came from that and went into comedy and some of the stuff you say and get away with, I, I think you're probably the only one that could get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I, there was, yeah, there's definitely some material that was a little edgy for some that I, and that's the thing is I get, that's what keeps me excited about comedy mm-hmm. is getting away with stuff on stage mm-hmm. and pushing it a little bit, taking it back. And my early stuff was, it was a little more aggressive with race and mm-hmm. things like that. And being in New York and being this, this fish out of water and kind yeah. of this edge to being that mm-hmm. and what, the way people perceive you. And then people always talking about certain projects and neighborhoods were rough. And I always felt like, yeah, you know, what rough is the freaking trailer park is rough. Yeah. I don't care about you. You know, <laughs> it's always, they always try to make white people soft. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, Indiana, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, <laughs> and so it's just things like Alabama, you're going to see all that. But I felt like that was me trying to get rid of that kind of privileged white guy thing that would, that everybody would make, make reference to in uh-huh. New York. And so that was my angle. And, and also being part Native American, I felt, talk about a race that doesn't get respect. Yeah. And so who sh- the, the race that really should, there's no national holiday. There's no, it's just, we don't even, we barely got off a of football. Helmet. Yeah. So it's like, that was my <laughs> angle with the first thing was, you know, first early yeah. work was like those two kind of mentalities was Texas yeah. and Native and so. But then this time it was, like I try to keep it more about myself and yeah. my own experiences. So it's been a lot of fun. So let's talk about your your early years were pretty unconventional. And I think that's what goes into your comedy. Did you ever, you did some stuff before you did comedy and then you went into comedy. What was it that put you in to stand up? Yeah, I got a weird story. It's, I, you know, my whole thing It's was hard like, to find some of your story, too. You got a bio, but it's pretty short. It's just what you did, but I had to really dig to find some of it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I like to, I don't like to put too much in a bio because I feel like I want to do that on stage. Yeah. So I've, I've had the real long bios of uh-huh. my life. And then I was like, you know what? I just, I like being a mystery. And then people like hear my album or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes people, I don't know. If your bio's two pages on your website, I think that's a little much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'll write a book one day. I don't want my book to be all be on my website. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know this happened. You yeah. Know? It's like save a little for mystery. Right. No doubt. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. I was growing up in Texas. I was a weirdo and I became a Mormon in high school with this Mormon girl and we hit it off and things and we broke up. And I think despite her, I became a missionary and, and went and, and tried to get her back or whatever. Ended up going to South America and Chile for two years. And, and then I came back, went to BYU for a little while and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And I always had this, this thing where I, I, I always had this dream in New York. I wanted to be like this fashion designer or something. Little artist. I didn't really know. I didn't know what that was. I was like, fashion designer. You're just draw dresses and hang out with models like i had no idea you had to learn how to sew yeah (laughs) are you a project runway guy not really but when i was at that age in life i wanted to just be this rock star artist i didn't know i didn't know what it was like i said i just didn't know i just knew i had to get to new york yeah i never i I never miss project runway and my wife and i it's part of my act actually but my wife and i we sit there and we watch it together i love tim gunn so anything he's doing other shows now that are project runway but i watch those too i just think he's the coolest yeah, yeah he's got why well, i ended up going to park 
Parsons. I got accepted yeah. into Parsons. It was a big deal. Yeah. And uh, I studied fashion and stuff, and I thought that's what I was going to do. But then it just then I just leaned towards the fine arts because I ended up finding comedy because I was a busboy to the New York Comedy Club. Okay. And so I ended up kind of meeting some friends and a girlfriend of mine, it was a Mormon girl. She was friends with this guy at a hotel named Pete Corielli. And uh, he was a young comic starting out. And then he was at the New York Comedy Club as a busboy. And he kind of got me in. And I'd done stand-up comedy at BYU once. And mm. I got a standing ovation. And mm. I, it was like, I've been chasing the dragon. It's mm. like one of those weird yeah. things where like <laughs> most people's first set is horrible. Mine was amazing. So yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm only about six of those and i'm like come on <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah so then i came to new york and it was like i said i was in parsons and then i was a busboy and then i started finding the comedy bug mm-hmm. and just started new york comedy was great because i was a busboy and so i was able to meet all these comics and i was always at the club and so mark Marin and todd barry and dc benny and ben bailey and mm-hmm. Judah freelander all these guys became friendly with me and they were supportive and then i just started running shows i was like the for so long, I was the producer in New York, and I ran a lot of important venues like Boston Comedy Club. That was a place that I felt was spawn. Probably the most, mm. probably the best comics currently working, I feel, came out of the Boston Comedy yeah, Club yeah. in New York City. I feel Patrice O'Neill and Chappelle and all those guys. And so, yeah, so I started running shows, and that's how I got stage time. I was just like, because I didn't, I hated open mics. Open mics were just like horrible to me. You just get up there and they like, suck so bad. Attention. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Sometimes there'll be some open mics for people supportive and stuff. But now it's even worse because when we started, they didn't have phones. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> they're, just, they're just writing on their shit. Yeah. So now they're just like, man, they have fucking smartphones. Maybe a flip phone. Nobody's yeah. doing much for that. Yeah. But, so it's, so yeah. So I've been running clubs and through that i've able to help a lot of comedians that uh, a lot of people know and the nate bergazzi's and pete holmes and people like that who came through me and i was able to create a scene Mm -hmm. and so i worked with al martin for years and we did we opened up the greenish village comedy club on madougal and who knew we could open up a club right next door to the cellar and it would be successful and but we pulled it off we were there for eight years and it was it was great, and I always compare it to like the CBGBs of the nice. cellar was kind of the hard yeah. rock cafe, and we're the CBGBs, you know. Yeah. This is like this raw kind of. I never cared if anybody bombed. I was like, just go be a comic, uh, like, find it, dude, because I'm a comic, and so yeah. I always felt like it's rare when you have places that are ran by people that you know or, or know how to do this art form uh-huh. and sometimes you'll have an occasional owner that MCs, and we all yeah. know how that goes yeah. but, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> you're like really dude he's like that'd be like a, another 20 minutes you're like you're killing me like, yeah just get off stage but uh, so yeah that was how I, I started doing comedy and and just started getting a little bit of TV and working and kind of meeting people. And everything I've ever gotten comedy is because a comedian thought it was funny. Uh-huh. And so my path has always been through comics saying, hey, Chafin's funny, da da da, and that kind of. So I climbed the ladder through friends and comedians and people that, you know, liked my comedy. And yeah, so that's how I've done it. And now I. Yeah, I'm done with kind of running shows in New York, and mm-hmm. I've been my girl and I am working on a script uh, about a famous comedian. I got to be a little vague about it, but we're yeah. working on stuff here, and she's coming out here to work. And uh, we said, "LA, why not? Yeah. It's uh, the land where everybody's 22." We're like, "Who cares? We're gonna we're still gonna come out of here." Uh-huh. And, 
get some Botox and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Die some, get some just for men, see what we can do. But you know, but yeah, so now we're in LA, but that's where I'm at now. But, so, uh, but it, things about you, and it's funny, I talked to the, about this in a recent interview. There's very few comics that can get away with playing to the back of the room and also make the front of the room laugh and because i think you you melded with the comics because you're putting on the shows you do play to the back of the room because the comics laugh at your stuff and it's hard to make a comic laugh we both know that and but yet you make the crowd laugh too that's got to be a pretty good feeling yeah, yeah. Where, where, where have you seen me? Can I ask? What I've, ne- I've never seen you live, but I just did oh, the whole okay. you. I did the whole YouTube okay, okay, thing. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if like I missed you at Crackers or somewhere. Okay, yeah, no, it's, somebody- it's been a YouTube okay. deep dive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel what's interesting though is because I always crap on comics because I feel like there's a lot of good comics that we know that are our friends and then there's those that were just like ugh, do, do you really have to be in this but but what i've noticed though is as much as i crap on comics they show up yeah and uh, they support you yeah and they they listen to your podcast mm-hmm. and they they go to your album recordings and they do and so it's especially with the zoom thing a lot of the audience was comedians yeah so a lot of guys that showed up were like yo we respect what you're doing or whatever so they showed up it was felt like a back of the room kind of show yeah and so and a lot of it we cut because i'm like trash in the industry and i'm not going too far Uh (laughs) trying to play to the back of the room yeah and it's just like that freaking guy and like you know (laughs) (laughs) so i had to cut a few names (laughs) i was glad i didn't go live i'm I'm a bit of a bridge burner i think that's why Oh but, man, I dig yeah, that. I, yeah, I, I, I'm the I've same. Heard a yeah. lot of bridges. Yeah, foot in the mouth, foot in the mouth, kind of thing. But I don't drink anymore. That helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever? You've been at it for a while. Did you ever get to work with Tim Wilson? Tim Wilson sounds familiar. I don't yeah. know. He passed away. He's he was really big in the Midwest. He was on Bob and Tom a lot and stuff like that. But he was he was a back of the room guy. And I just talked to Corey Ryan Forrester just a couple episodes ago, and he worked with Tim Wilson quite a bit coming up, and just talked about him being the only guy who he knew that could do the back of the room stuff and still make the crowd laugh too. But yeah, we lost him. Gosh, five or six years ago. So yeah, he he was good. He was good. If you ever want to study somebody that didn't give a shit about what the audience think, he thought that was him. So that'd be great. (laughs) No, one thing about the back of the room too is New York um, comedy is during the week it can be rough. A lot of times you might have six people, you might have four people. One time I did a show at Dangerfields and it was like two girls in the crowd and uh, during the middle of my act they went up to go, they went to go to the bathroom while I was on stage I was literally on stage with nobody yeah. <laughs> I had to wait for them to come back so <laughs> the fact that the crowds are so small sometimes is like a lot of times comics will be your audience yeah and so I got you I got used to like okay these guys are stage left I'm not, I need laughs because I'm a whore. And so I'm going to play to everybody in the room. And so that's, I think that's how I came up. I just Mm. felt I'm playing everybody here. It's like Mm. these two people are from the Midwest. These people are over here, two Asian dudes, the two comics in the back. Like I'm going to play everything I can. So that's how we came up in New York. Yeah. Now you and your girl have been together for quite a while and she's a comic too. What's it like to be, have two comics in the house? 
<laughs> Let's just say every fight ends with, uh, I'm going to use that. But... <laughs> that's mine. No, that's mine. I'm taking it. <laughs> she has the boobs, so she usually gets the bit. Yeah. But we've really worked hard at, because we've been together a long time, about, oh, I think, 15 years coming up. And that's, uh-huh. I mean, that's like 50 years in comedy years. Yeah, yeah, and big so, time. For two comics to stay together. But we are, we learned early on. I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning trying to be too coupley in the stand-up world. And there's a lot of comedy couples that do it well. Yeah. There's Bonnie mm. and it's Tom Cotter and Carrie Louise. There's people that do it well mm. and it's their thing. They're established as couples. Mm. We separate ourselves a little bit. Like we have a Patreon thing that we do that we started in the uh, pandemic, but it's, you gotta, if you want to see us do something, you gotta pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise we're going to be very, on our own. So yeah. that has helped our relationship that we're not like in shadows of each other. We, you know, we, we don't put it in too many people's faces. We have our own identity yeah. instead of a couple comedy couple identity. But that's what helps us stay together. Mm-hmm. Hey, BTB buddies. I'm excited to have Bragg Apple Cider Vinegar as a sponsor of the show. They've been making ACV. That's what us cool kids call apple cider vinegar since 1912. My grandparents, my parents, and now I always have Bragg ACV in the fridge. I always use Bragg ACV to make my favorite tahini dressing that I use on wraps and salads and as a dip for my apples. It's delicious and it's healthy. Oh, would you like the recipe? I guess I can give it to you. Okay, here it is. Three tablespoons of tahini, two tablespoons of maple syrup, one teaspoon of Dijon mustard, one teaspoon of Bragg ACV, a pinch of garlic powder, and lots of freshly ground pepper. Mix it all together and add a little bit of water if you want to thin it out for a salad. I normally double or triple the recipe, so I always have some on hand because I love it that much. Anyway, Bragg is jumping into the 21st century with some new products. ACV has some amazing health benefits when used regularly, like improved digestion, lowered blood pressure, and healthier skin. Bragg ACV has made it easier than ever to incorporate apple cider vinegar into your daily routine with perfectly measured prebiotic ACV shots in four delicious flavors, including honey, pineapple cayenne, carrot ginger, and ginger turmeric. I can't think of an easier way to get all the great health benefits of ACV than drinking one of these great tasting ACV shots every morning. All of these Bragg products contain perfectly measured one tablespoon of ACV, 750 milligrams of acetic acid, and are USDA organic and non-GMO. Go to www.bragg.com and use my code Bits15 for 15% off your first order. That's brag.com, B R A G G.com, and the code Bits15 for 15% off your first order. It's good stuff. Do you go like different directions when you do tour and uh, go to different clubs, or do you go to the, uh, two clubs in the same city? <laughs> no, I mean, we will, Demi, at this point. We'll take anything. Yeah. <laughs> All that goes out the window. You know, we'll be, you know. Uh, but uh, no, we toured a lot in the beginning. She opened for me a lot in the beginning. And then I, I just felt once once she started getting more of a veteran, that we just started doing our own thing. But we went to, did a lot of USO tours together and things like that. Yeah. We're in Iraq and, you mm. know, Kuwait and stuff. So we did all that fun stuff together. So we had a lot of that experience together. But but yeah, we just kind of just do our own thing. And 
we're both headliners, so nobody's yeah. wants to open for either one. So yeah, you know. <laughs> so we yeah. usually unless it's a co-headliner thing or something. Yeah, I, I think Rich usually opens for Bonnie though. I because I, <laughs> I know they go together most of the time, but I think Bonnie wins. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rich is a hard follow, man. When he's when he's on with his crowd work, I, I don't want to follow him. I don't want to follow him. He's he he's great. I absolutely love him. Can I tell you? A, I have to tell you a funny thing about <laughs> if you love Rich Voss. So I did this. I put together this pilot thing. I, I it was called uh, Hijack Comedy, uh-huh. and the idea behind it was that we took comedians. And we blindfolded them and put them in a van. And then we drove them to gigs that they didn't know what the gig was going to be. Uh-huh. So like we took Joe DeRosa, we blindfolded him, put him on a, uh, I had a friend who was uh, security at a comedy club. He was also a New York City bus driver. Mm-hmm. And so he drove a bus. And so we planted all these people and, we, and then DeRosa took off his mask and said, he's on a bus and he's got to do stand up. He's got uh-huh. a mic stand, that kind of thing. And so we did this thing with Rich Voss where I was like, I don't know if Bob DeBono. Bob. I know that name. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he does like the Trump stuff. He's yeah. like a he's a really incredible impressionist. Yeah. And so he does a great Rich Voss impression. And so he sounds just like him. Like he was he's been on Jim Brewer's show and all that. So he sounds just like him. And so what I did is I told Rich, I said, Look, Rich, I'm filming this thing. I want you for the pilot. So here's what you're gonna do. I want you to send me seven minutes. Just give me a clip of whatever seven minutes you want to do. Uh-huh. And but you have to do that seven minutes again live on a show. Uh-huh. So he's he goes, okay. So he sent me the seven minutes. And then I sent it to Bob DeBono. I said, all right, I want you to do this seven minutes. Uh-huh. And so so Bob gets up on stage <laughs> in the perfect Rich Voss. I, can, I can't yeah. do the story justice because I, I can't do impressions of Rich. Yeah. He's like, however he talks, whatever. Yeah. So he did word for word. He did like Rich Voss's intonations, thing, uh-huh. delivery. And he did this seven minute set. And Rich Voss is upstairs. He has no idea what's happening. He just knows he's on next. And so, so Rich Voss goes down and we're at the Broadway Comedy Club, but it's like upstairs, downstairs. So he goes downstairs, he gets on stage, it's all tourists, and he gets on stage, and he just opens the exact same way in the same exact voice as the guy right before. And then he does another joke, same yeah. exact joke, in the same exact voice. And that's he does and he's bombing miserably. Yeah. And, and he can't and he can't do crowd work because that's the rule. Uh-huh. It's like you can't go off your script. You gotta <laughs> he lasted about three minutes and he's like, fuck this. And he just went off and he's like, What's happening? What's happening right now? And he just like yelled at the crowd and it was just the funniest moment oh, to see somebody man. not know why they're bombing. Yeah. And just and they have no clue. Usually when we bomb, we have an idea we don't feel good or the crowd sucks. Yeah. This he had no idea. And it was so funny. That's great. So, that's yeah, great. Yeah, and uh, Opie and Anthony used to put, pull so many tricks on him. It was just sad. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was, <laughs> thinking about, okay, you get into comedy and, and you're doing that, but now you are going into all kinds of other stuff. So you're getting into acting. You you did that uh, episode of Crashing and you're, you're writing and all that kind of stuff. And, and the funny thing is I can tell by following your Facebook is that you're a big fan of the visual arts and yet you are um, totally getting into the more literate stuff and the writing and stuff like that. How is that working for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Renaissance man, if you will. I just, I love all kinds of art. I could have, I think I could have done any sort of art that I have a lot of kind of knack for a lot of things Mm -hmm. and drawing and painting and writing and performing and things. And so I love it all. And that one thing I really loved about, I still do love about standup is it, it has,
has a whole lot of facets to it. That mm. you, the, a lot of different parts of art. You're a writer. You're a director. You're the star. Like you can you can dress the way you want to dress. You, yeah. can, you can brand yourself. You can be a character. Yeah. So I, I think that's why I was drawn to stand up because somebody that's all over the place as an artist, it's, it's it has a lot to offer for somebody mm. like me who's very ADD with their art. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But I've enjoyed doing different things, and the crashing thing was incredible. It was uh, there was. I think that's the time. That's the one time I felt like I had arrived is because I got to play myself. And when I was a kid, we you know the show, the Love Boat. Yep. So the people would just show up and they'd be and they just be themselves. Like yeah. Charo would be like herself. Yeah. And yeah. So <laughs> I felt like I got to just be myself. Dustin Chafin, the comedian. Yeah. And like, <laughs> the credit was Dustin Chafin as Dustin Chafin, and uh-huh. I don't know. It was just a funny kooky. If you have if you have any sort of seventies TV that's as himself, like they yeah you know, they always did that on like Dukes of Hazard or something. Yep. Like Willie Nelson is you know. Yeah. But so yeah. I I've enjoyed the ride and I'm enjoying it still. And this second half is going to be just as fun. I'm really excited to see where it takes me. And that's in comedy is one of those beautiful things where it's, you have to, you just have to strap in. You have no yeah. idea where you're going to end up, who you're going to meet, what you're going to do. Mm. And that's the beauty of it. It's rock and roll. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. So you have the best name for a podcast that I um, have ever heard. And I wish I would have thought of it. I'll leave you with this. Talk about how that started and what you're doing with it. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny because comedians always, they always, in most of comedians in their set with, okay, I'll leave you with this. And yeah. so it was come, come from that. You know yeah. that. And uh, yeah, so I felt there's like that game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. I feel in stand-up comedy, there's a Six Degrees of Dustin Chafin. I feel like <laughs> a lot of comics can, can source back to me. Uh-huh. And so... Having all that access to comedians, I felt like it was time for me to start a podcast where, you know, similar to what you're doing, just like just getting into minds of comedians and finding their journey. And I I work with a lot of young comics and stuff and coach and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I knew it was like it was good for them to hear these stories and from comedians that that are well known and stuff. And so I just uh, yeah, I just started. I'm a big Charlie Rose fan. I don't care if he got busted or not. I thought he was a great interviewer. (laughs) Yeah. I love the one-on-one. Yeah, I feel I've tried podcasts, several podcasts with four guys and two guys and whatever, and it's always fun. I feel like you're always doing double dutch. You're trying to jump in. You're trying to be funny. You're trying to up the other guy. Yeah, and I really love the personal one-on-one interviews you yeah. do as well. And it's you just get a real conversation, and you and you don't miss stuff. Somebody trying to roast somebody's shirt or something yeah. stupid. Yeah, it just it, you avoid all that. Yeah, and so, so yeah, so I did it for a few years. It got picked up by Authentic Management, and it's, it's still out there. And when the pandemic happened, the Zoom thing was it was just starting. And I know now the streaming stuff is great for podcasts. It really is amazing for podcasts. Yeah, it's, yeah. It allows you to have guests that you would normally not have access to. Yeah. So another silver lining is this kind of is this technology right. for for podcasts. Because before I had to be like, okay, I'll meet you at the club, and yeah, I'll, I'll meet you at a studio, or you had to have a studio or a place to meet and now it's this is amazing yeah but so so what i did was my girl and i leah bottoma and she's amazing comic colbert all that good stuff Mm -hmm. and we decided that we were going to take i'll leave you with this and i was just going to do a coupling version of it and Mm -hmm. so it was like how these two comedians 
were dealing with the pandemic, how we were eating and shopping and cleaning all the time and going to Rite Aid as our only entertainment and doing all all these like crazy things and being manic and not being on stage and Mm. learning how to not kill each other. And and so I'll leave you with this. Move to a Patreon page for now. And eventually I would like to get it back and maybe do something a little more in depth because I enjoy talking yeah. to comedians and I know so many people. So I feel like it's a service to be able to bring these talents to people. And so, yeah, but I'm glad you, you like the name. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the podcast too. I listen to some of the back episodes and it's really it's a lot like what I do. So I, I, when I was researching to do this podcast, I couldn't find very many that totally did away with the small talk. And, and that's what I wanted to do. Just cut to the chase right away. So it's all content yeah. and, and no bullshit. So that's the, yeah. I, I, I like how you do it. So what you, you were there early in career and got to, got to see the chubby face Bargassi. <laughs> <laughs> and see him come up. Did you ever think that he would get like he is today? Yeah, I did. I feel like. And I, I, mo- I usually don't talk about other comics with a comic, but you are close yeah. enough to him that I yeah, think sure, that sure. I think it's worth it to talk about. No, it is. He's my boy. And I take a lot of pride in, in discovering him before a lot of other people did. And uh, yeah, he bombed a lot and he was like a terrible barker. And yeah, but he was this Southern guy. I was a Texas guy. I was like, I just fell in love with him. And he's mm. one of those guys that like, He's so freaking likable. Mm-hmm. And, but even when he wouldn't do that great on stage, it's like he had something that was different. Mm-hmm. He had this, this endearing kind of simple kind of Tennessee kind of slow mentality, but owning it and not yeah. forcing it. Right. It wasn't like a blue collar thing. It was like the next evolution past that. Right. And that's the thing with, with Nate and I, we were always like, we always wanted to go a little further than the guys that were like, I'm Southern. We just wanted to be like, you know what? Yeah, we're from the South. We've done stuff and we have, we're more like you than you think and more of a city mentality. So I saw that in him and I was the first to take him on the road. And we did, we were in Iraq together as well and did a whole bunch of shows, different places and stuff. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was interesting to see him, but he made good decisions. He chose to be clean, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, a hard thing to do. Yeah. Playing these late shows in Manhattan and he, but he always had a vision, you know, Mm -hmm. he always knew that he would stay with the stuff. But once he took a turn, because he was a bit guy, like he did bits about Superman and like things like that uh-huh. and, and spaghetti, being Italian, eating spaghetti and yeah. different things. And it was funny, but I feel once he told his stories and started getting into that part of his life, yeah. he really blew up. And I talked to him last night. We did a thing together and it was just like I interviewed him and stuff for uh-huh. some young comics. And that's it. I want to plug that too. If comics watch this, I'm um, doing a thing called right club. That's it's next on my like, list. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. And, uh, <laughs> We can talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, but we're talking to him was great. And I just, he, he just take, made a lot of, and the way he writes is very, I learned so much. I've known him forever. Yeah. And even the interviewing him, I learned more than I did before I interviewed him. I was just like, the way he writes, he takes a bit and he doesn't work it out. He only writes the ending. Yeah. And so when he gets on stage, he just goes with it and see where it goes, but yeah. he knows where he's headed, but he just has this looseness to him. Yeah. That is so people connect to it and want to be a part of it. And yeah. yeah. So it's been beautiful to watch it. He's deserved, he paid his dues. He worked his ass off. It's oh, not yeah. like he's one of these guys that got it when he was 15. Cause he was young or whatever. I got a few of those guys I could talk about. Yeah. On Saturday Night Live or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
movies because I got tattoos. Yeah. But this, but Nate is really a guy that's. I don't like him either. <laughs> but he's a guy that really is just a great craftsman, a great comedian, yeah. and he really just is good at what he does. And you can't not listen to him. Yeah. Even if the stuff is not as funny as the other thing he said, you still love it because yeah, it's him. It's, yeah, yeah, his whole it's really meter. Good. It's it, it, the, yeah. his, the way he talks is so great. It's funny. His last tour, I saw him twice do the exact same show and i we went to my wife and i went to indy and watched him there and we paid a lot for tickets for that one and then he came to south bend and i'm like i'll just go see it again and we went to see him twice and saw the exact same show and it's funny it's funny what's the same and what's different because every once in a while he'll go around uh, a joke a, a bit like what you say the end's gonna stay the same but he's gonna get there a little different way just to play with it and that's pretty cool yeah yeah i think that's 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 really the best way to do comedy i always tell people too it's your setup should be where you play and yeah you just you find different ways to go and the punch should be solid but everything else you can play around you got time to play with this with the premise and don't so, let your ego take over and think it's you've written it the best way because it's never the yeah. best way yeah and you, you, get can, bored you can always do better. yeah you always get bored like yeah. you're doing the same shit over and over so yeah so let's talk about right 10 since you uh, brought it up and it's on my list it sounds like a pretty cool deal what, what are you doing with that yeah, club is basically it's combining everything that I do. It's stand up, podcasting, coaching, all that stuff. So it basically, it was I wanted. I always feel like I hate comedy classes. I've taken a bunch of them when I first started out. I, I hate the idea of somebody like here's comedy class. You got to take the joke and comedy's in threes, and you got to do this. And it's always some you know kind of structured thing and, it, yeah. and you can get a lot out of comedy class sometimes what you get out of it is you might meet people that you end up being yeah. connected to for the rest of your career yeah. so there's a lot of good things that happen in comedy class but i just never wanted to teach one i but i, I started coaching when i opened the club with al and uh, greenwich because i felt like it was a good opportunity and i have a club i could play around or whatever and i could just put comics on stage mm. and so that was the thing is like i was i felt unless i could get somebody on stage i wasn't going to coach them and i, and I don't believe in the bringers and all that crap i'm not a big fan of that yeah. so i wanted to be able to do that so that's what i did with this so this now that i don't i don't have a place to put people I figured the way that I learned comedy was listening to people like Mark Marin yeah. and listening to Dave Attell and mm -hmm. being like, a, it'd be a fly on the wall when these guys would talk about things and, and comedy and hell gigs and how they got started and stuff. And so I figured let's do something that's an actor studio for comedians. Mm -hmm. And so basically I do a right club thing where like Mondays we have a guest speaker mm -hmm. and this, the first one was neighbor Gatsy. We have Dan Soder. We have Mike Brett. We have all these great comedians and it's what it is. is like, we just do the Q and a, we do a little Q and a at the end. They get to ask questions through me. I get to, and then I talk to the comedians, basically like my podcast, but mm -hmm. a live version with the young comics watching and it's not aired anywhere else. I'm not putting it on YouTube or anything. It's just for that group of people. So it's a one-time thing. You get to embrace it. I'm not trying trying to put it somewhere and, and make it a whole thing. I'm just trying to make it about people learning from these great comics. Mm -hmm. Cause and I, to my thing is kind of, it's kind of being invited uh, 
to like a veteran comedy table at a comedy club, mm-hmm. you know, where all the comics are around the table and you get to slide in there and they don't make fun of you. Right. And then on, and then twice a week we do it. And then on Thursdays we write uh-huh. and, uh, and it's not like, I'm not teaching you how to write. We're just basically like it's comics. I pair people up and I give people a theme. Like uh-huh. this week, the theme was uh, siblings. Uh-huh. And if you don't have siblings, talk about being an only child. Uh-huh. And so then everybody goes for the week and they work on that. They work on that. And then they bring and then everybody brings their sibling jokes. And we all do a little open mic and we play around. And, uh-huh. and then also the second thing was bring a joke that doesn't work, but you think it's funny. Uh-huh. And then so that's so that kind of stuff. The more advanced kind of comedy thing to, for people to just basically get better because we're all rusty. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a I have a gig April first. I haven't been I, I wouldn't have been on stage in almost three weeks, but I got hyenas with uh, T.J. Miller and we're doing this thing. and so it's, it's hard to get stage time. So uh-huh. things like this help you work out the bit without having the stage time because you have other comedy minds and everybody working on it and stuff. So basically, it's like that. It's just like a kind of a free for all for comedians to get better and enjoy each other and people to meet each other and, and yeah. to listen to some of the best comics in the world. Right. Yeah. So, that sounds really cool. And you're just going to keep doing that do like semesters. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's like, I have three for the year. So uh-huh. this first one just started. You can still sign up for that for March and I'll do one in June and one in October. That's cool. So you can sign up for the whole year if you want and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, really it's neat. A fun way. Yeah, and if you guys want to do it, just email me at uh, writeclubstandup at gmail.com. Or, okay. You know. Yeah, that's really a neat idea. And that's one of the cool things that's come from the pandemic is these types of things have come up. And there's other people doing it in different ways. And it's funny you talk about not liking comedy classes. I'm starting one tonight because I know the guy that's doing it. And I I want to tighten up my writing and stuff like that. I, I want to be better. And yeah. um, come to mind, you would love mine. Yeah, like you, yeah. What we do is great. It's advanced, too. It's got, some guys have been doing it like seven years and stuff. Yeah. Like it's not it's all young guys. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a really neat idea. And I think it's cool that those things are popping up. And do you think that Zoom comedy is going to go completely away when restrictions are lifted? I hope not. Because I'm in L.A. and we don't get a lot of stage time out here. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be like, no, guys, come on, man, log on, log on. Everybody in New York is going to be like, sorry, man, we got five sets to do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I I really hope not. I think it's been a cool kind of uh, medium for what's great about it is I could be on, I could be doing a Zoom show and there'd be some people from, like, Africa and, like, yeah. Indiana yeah. and, like, all over the world, Brazil. Yeah. And so I love that element of it i i think it's gonna be i think the clubs i've talked about this before but i think the clubs are probably do more of a kind of a pay-per-view kind of thing i think they'll if you're smart because i yeah. think people are going to be like shelter shy like they're the people are going to stay in even when things are better yeah i'm not crazy about i'm not going to go to even when everybody's like the vaccine i'm not going to a rolling stones concert you yeah. know what i mean i'm not going to go somewhere where there's a sea of people right for a long time until yeah. I really know everything is cool. Yeah. So I think for those people, you're going to have to facilitate. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like maybe they'll have like comedy clubs will, will stream in shows as they're happening. Uh-huh. So you sell, so let's say you sell 50 tickets and then you fill, you sell 50 online. So I think it'd be a combination. Of, yeah. I, I would think you'd be smart. If I would open a club today, which may work on something, who knows? Uh-huh. But if I open up something out here, I would have, 
it would have to be very high tech. Like I yeah. would want the streaming and all that stuff to, to be during the show. I think it'd be important. Professional cameras. The, yeah. yeah and good audio. The comedy attic in Bloomington actually uh, did it for a little while, but they didn't, they, it was very early and they didn't, have the setup and it was it was wonky but yeah it, and but it didn't cost much either i got to see Stuart huff with a mask on go through some of his new stuff so that was good nice so i gotta i'm asking you all these questions i don't ask anybody but you seem like a guy who really likes music and yeah. i'm i'm a music guy myself so what what are you listening to right now that's really getting you are you do you listen to blues much? Gary Clark Jr. is I love Gary of, Clark Jr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I go all over the place. I'm uh yeah. have you heard of a band called All Them Witches? Sounds familiar. Yeah, they're they're like a Sabbath, uh, Black Sabbath jam oh, nice. band, okay. and I've been listening to them quite a bit. And oh, cool. I read Rob Halford's book uh, Confession, and nice. so I'm going through my teen years and listening to a lot of Judas Priest. But I love bluesy, and I love like yeah. good Americana stuff, like John Hyatt, Dave Alvin, The Blasters, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, it was funny. I when we were moving, my girl and I are just ridiculous. Like we were looking at all our boxes and we basically paid $3,000 just to ship vinyl and VHS and DVDs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're like, really? We, we couldn't get rid of the VHS. I got rid of thousands of dollars worth of hats and clothes. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't, like, we just thought, you gotta have Ghostbusters one and two on VHS. Yeah. Get rid of that. <laughs> and so we kept so much stuff. And so I'm a big vinyl guy. Do I plug? I actually have a thing on Twitch on Comedy Hub, Dustin's Vinyl. Oh, and that's, cool. uh, and that's the thing I do on Wednesdays at seven with Jeffrey Paul. And uh, he's a big music guy. He worked in the music industry. Yeah. He's like a roadie in production and stuff. He's a comedian as well. And so, yeah, so I love, I love finding new vinyl that I don't like. I love going to a record store and just, you know, exploring and buying something and just seeing if it's good. Uh -huh. I do that a lot. I'll just, I'll type in, it's funny. I have a thing on Spotify. Like I'll type in like a word uh -huh. and just, and just see what comes up. You know, yeah. I'll put in like dead and then see what band comes up. Yeah. Or I'll put in rose or whatever. <laughs> and so yeah. and I actually find a lot of new music that way. Yeah. But I listen to all the classics and you know, yeah. jazz blues and classic rock and all that's that cool stuff. Uh, yeah i do i do the same thing i know a guy that he's in a band and he's also got a record label where they do they do all this custom vinyl and i really like what they're doing with their stuff but he he does he'll do the splatters oh, but he that's also great. does liquid filled so he'll fill oh. it with different liquids the band's favorite gatorade or something like that that's and then fun. he does the led stuff he's it's got a little remote and you can make it like a strobe light and do all kinds of weird stuff yeah it's pretty nice. cool what he does yeah nice. i've been getting into the struts are you, are you familiar with yeah, them i know much? that name yeah yeah they're a fun band especially like they just have an old school feel but they're new they're young and they're from they opened for rolling stones this last yeah. tour and they just have that they sound like queen and rolling stones uh -huh. and aerosmith they have a good but it's nice for a young group to yeah. kind of have the guitar and the, the lead singer Hal and all that stuff so it's nice it's it's real i think you'd, you'd really dig it it has That's like cool. a cool sound have you ever gotten to see grace potter no no i, I got you? to see her twice yeah. and two of the best shows i've ever seen in my life she oh, wow. just, she blow she's nuts man it's, it's when you listen to her stuff it doesn't sound like hard rock but when she goes on stage it, she really turns it what up was your, what was your last concert uh great, grace potter 
Yeah, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, she. It was. It was in D.C. It wasn't the 9:30 club, but it was the new club that the 9:30 club opened over by the wharf. I can't okay. remember the name of it, but yeah, and I saw her at the 9:30 club the first time, so it was neat to see him in those two different venues. And I saw Elvis Costello right before the pandemic, and that was a good show. You could tell he didn't want to be there. Yeah. At first, he was just like fuck it i'll do the song but then he he finally got into it after a while and act like he wanted to be there so it was neat that's funny my last concert i think it, i think it might have been dwight yoakam i think it uh, in oh, Manhattan. that's a good one yeah, yeah he's he's he, people sit on dwight he's a he's an amazing picker yeah man. he's just such a good and i love his voice but he's a great guitarist yeah he, he was great. Yeah, he's he's excellent. Well, we could sit here and talk about music all day, but you probably got stuff to do. I'm I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah, I'm really glad we got to talk. So everybody, check out this uh, Right Club thing if you want to be a uh, better comic because this looks something like something I might check into. Yeah, I I really enjoy what you put out there and the fact that you did that Zoom album. Just really, I'm giving you mad props for doing that because. It's brave, and the fact that you made it good enough that they put it on XM, you did something there. So <laughs> that's you, really Wayne. good. Thanks so much. Yeah, get the album, guys, and buy it. Stop being cheap. Yeah, <laughs> all, all, yeah, always buy it. You can listen to it first on Spotify. What I, I always buy the album, and I just nice. have it in digital format, and then I listen on Spotify because it's easier. So Put me up with your vinyl guy because I want to do a I want to do a double of both my albums on vinyl. What's his name? They did a comedy album a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. I will. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll hook you up. Thanks for being on the show, Justin. It's been <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's okay. Tony, you're good. Fuck. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being on the show, Dustin. Yeah, that's a hard one. This Damn it. Let's, 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 let's get off stream here. So I'm not even drinking. Yeah. 